Welcome to the Cork Church Podcast. We are so glad that you're joining us today. We hope that this message inspires you, builds your faith, and encourages you in the things of the Lord. Enjoy the message. Amen. I'm delighted so many of you could make it out tonight. May you be blessed. And uh, those watching online, of course, are always blessed. We love our online members. Thank God. Great to be here. Wonderful to be in the presence of the Lord again. I was just thinking to myself, yesterday, um, there's 525,600 minutes in a year. (laughs) 525,600 minutes in a year. And a preacher gets about 30 minutes maybe once a week, and then the preachee, the receiving end of the preaching, takes about 15 minutes in. I was thinking, if you drew a circle and you made a thousand slices, and that was your life, the preacher gets three of those. I said, Lord, who was able for such a task? Who was able to come and and say something in that short little window? And the Lord said, I'm able. See that? The Lord is able. Praise his name. He's able to do exceedingly abundantly above and beyond all we can ask or imagine. Give him praise. He's so wonderful. Um, You know, the world uh, has its message too, doesn't it? Diversity, equality, anger, rage. It's got its message. But the Christian message is love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. And against these things, the apostle says, there is no law. Isn't that beautiful? There is no hindrance. And these are the abundant supply of the Christian storehouse. And we're united together by Christ. He's the head. You know, he is the head of his body. And he's provident over the affairs of his body. He allows us to function. He allows us to be who we are. Isn't it fantastic? I can be who I am. I don't have to be somebody else. I I am who I am. You know, God placed me in 20th century Ireland in 1968. Placed me in the Cassidy lineage Place me of the, you know, the Celtic DNA, an Irishman. I don't have to be an American. I don't have to be an Englishman. I don't have to speak a certain way. I am who I am. And God placed me, just like he placed you. God is like a big jigsaw maker, you know. Each piece is a person. And he knew exactly what he was doing when he placed you where he placed you. And that just blows the, the narrative apart concerning uh, temperacy, uh, life without existence, evolution, and all the stuff that the world throws at you and makes you feel like you're nothing. You know, the world is out to make you feel like you're nothing, that you're stupid, that you're useless, you've nothing good to offer. No matter what it says, all its promises are empty. They're all empty. They have no power. There's no power in the world system, but you come into this relationship with Christ and he says, I fit you like a little jigsaw piece into my puzzle and you matter to me. You're important to me. Without you, the jigsaw is incomplete. You, do, you weren't put in the wrong place. You weren't born in the wrong home. You weren't born in the wrong circumstances, situation. God has placed you there and he's given you a command. He gave it to Adam and Eve in the garden. He said, be fruitful, multiply. That's what he said. That's the amazing thing about the Christian message. You can come into this walk with God. You can be a battered, broken, bruised reed. And you'll find he'll not snuff you out. He'll not bruise you. He'll not break you. He makes you more than you could ever be. He's amazing. The Christian message is amazing. The Christian worldview is second to none. Everything else pales into comparison. 
And I thank God, I thank God, I thank God. What a wonderful Savior. So, you know, I'll give you a little insight to what it's like being a pastor, you know, just like being an ordinary person, really, you know. You're just a person. You know, Sunday is the kind of the, the main day. Sunday's the main day. We're worshiping. We're going bananas at the top, actually. I've become very African as I get older. You know, they've taught me how to shimmy a bit. It's great. I raise my hands. I praise his name. I always feel his presence. Always. His presence is just uh, enduring. He never withdraws it. He's so wonderful. And then there's the, the table of the Lord. This has become very big to me in recent years. This, this uh, thought of communing. You know, when we commune, it's much more than just having a conversation. Communion is something like a soul to soul. It's something that couples who are very much in love will do, where they, they, where they want to see each other's heart when, when they go out to dinner or when they're having a serious conversation or even when they're in, in intense fellowship. <laughs> you still want to see the heart of the one you love. You want to know where they're coming from. You want to gain a better picture, a better revelation. And so much so it is with communion on Sunday. I'm just sitting there with the bread in my hand, and I'm just yearning for someone to say something over the pulpit that will cause me to feel a deeper sense of communion by the Spirit. And again, God is faithful. No matter who comes up, there's something is said, and ah, hallelujah, I'm now in this communion with God by the Spirit. The cross has become a fresh revelation again to me. And I'm appropriating all of its benefits all over again. And then I'm giving him praise. And then we have to preach, of course. That also goes hand in hand with being the pastor, having shaken every hand and loved everyone. That's not a burden, by the way. That's a joy. You are well worth loving. My congregation, I love them. I enjoy their company. I enjoy their habits. I enjoy their strong strengths and I enjoy their weakness. They enjoy me the same way. It's fantastic. We have a great relationship. And so you have to do the preaching. And then that's Sunday over, and then from Sunday afternoon until maybe Wednesday, the devil launches his full-scale artillery. He rolls out the big, the stingers, the anti-tanks, uh, the howitzer, seven seven, and he launches every weapon he can launch at us. Uh, in you 2 I'm sure it's the same, not just a pastor's issue, but he attacks. And you're wondering sometimes, uh, by Monday morning, are you even a Christian? Ever have that feeling? You just look into the weakness of yourself and you think, man, am I even a Christian today? Uh, the, the attacks are just coming thick and fast. But God meets you. And I want to tell you something about the Word. He meets you in the Word. This is What I've come to understand in my Christian life is the most precious time for me is not Sunday, even though I just love Sunday so much. The most precious time for me is in the quiet place where I have learned to wait upon the Lord. And this is where God meets me and ministers to me as I minister to him in worship. And so I'm so glad Pastor Nick read from Isaiah 55, not because I'm going to preach from there, but I'm preaching from Isaiah tonight for just a few minutes. So if you'll open the pages of your Bible to Isaiah 33, because I've been swimming around Isaiah. So my, my, my um, preparation process is uh, Monday, I'll be, by, by Wednesday, I'm beginning to search for the Sunday message through the Old Testament. And then as I read my way through, God will touch me by the Spirit on a certain verse. And then I will underline that in the double lines in red. And then I will break that verse down and study and read and reflect and meditate and say, Lord, what are you saying? 
What do you want spoken? Because if I've learned one thing, I've learned that without you speaking, it really is just a resounding gong and a clanging cymbal, and that won't do us, I'm afraid, Lord. We, we really need to hear from you. And so he touched my heart on Tuesday morning, and I began to feel the sanity of the presence of the Spirit and the clear voice of God. Let's read verse 3 together first. <clears throat> this is what I call the prophet's view of God. Verse 2, O Lord, be gracious to us, we wait for you. Be our arm every morning, our salvation in time of trouble. Let me read it again. It's worthwhile reading it a second time. Oh Lord, be gracious to us. We wait for you. We're looking to you. We're depending on you. You're the complete composite of all we desire. You've brought us into this walk with you. You've taken us out of selfishness and anxiety and shame and sin and darkness. You've brought us into your life, and now you're all that we want. We, you're the composite of all that we want, enjoy, love. Your, your thoughts are the best thoughts we have every day. Your thoughts actually, Lord, are so powerful, they're like a shield. and uh, uh, They bring life into the deadness of what it is to be a human being. And his, light, his thoughts bring life, they lift us, they lift us. He's speaking his thoughts over us all the time as a countermeasure to the enemy's attack and really makes the enemy's attack look very, very feeble in the end. Because in the end, when you've communed with God and you've spent time with your Savior and the power of the Holy Spirit's overshadowing you, it feels as if what was coming against you is simply dissipated. Like uh, those blanks that they put in the gun, you know, that when they're doing the Hollywood movies, they're not real bullets, you know, they're just blanks. And the enemy's shooting blanks and you realize, hang on a second, the devil's shooting blanks. But God has ministered his thoughts to me. God has lifted me by the Spirit again. My heart wants to worship. My feet want to dance. And I want to make my way out into the community so I can be effective. This is what God is doing in the morning time. I go over there to meet him, you know. As tired as any other man on the planet. I don't know when your particular time is to meet with him. I counsel everyone. Spend a little time daily if you can. But not because you have to, but because you want to be in the presence of the Lord. But you'll go there. Enemies opposing you. Your body is tired. Your mind is tired. I say, Lord, without a touch of you, even this time is fruitless. Without a touch of your grace, even this time is fruitless. And God, by his sweet, enduring presence, and because he is faithful and sure, never ceases to come and speak through the word. His beautiful, holy word. And Isaiah is writing about the Lord. This is his view of God. He says, Lord, be gracious to us. He says, Lord, you're gracious. Like that word gracious, don't you? Gracious. Reminds me of grace. Full of grace. Actually, the grace giver. In fact, if I was thinking about God and about grace, I'd be thinking about the same thing. God is grace. Grace is God. He's full of grace. Every part of him is grace. When he's blessing me, it's an act of his grace. When he's correcting me, it's an act of his grace. When he's loving me, it's an act of his grace. He is completely gracious from head to toe. That is, of course, if he had a head because he's omnipresent, he doesn't have a head. <laughs> he's a spirit. He transcends space and time. Um, He's full of grace. And I love that word. And as I said, Lord, be gracious to me. Cover me again in your grace, Lord. Envelop me in the sense of your presence and the grace that comes with the sense of your presence because I need you. As I was saying, I'm here waiting for you. And God does not disappoint those who wait for him. Of course, we get very disappointed ourselves, life being difficult and all. 
we get disappointed. We don't know what it is to wait. We're not very good at waiting. But I've learned over the years just to sit in his presence. Don't have to say a word. I don't have to pray for Alaska. There's plenty of Alaskans praying for them. I don't have to think about what's happening in in, um, New Zealand. I'm living in Shannon. I have a family. I have a church. I have a community. I want to sit in the presence of God. I want to hear God speak. I want to enjoy the communion, the fellowship. I want to wash off me everything the enemy has spoken against me. I want to go out from that day to face the day. And I have found, just reading his word, the strength, the pleasure, the blessing that he gives, that he grants through this intense fellowship, this communion with this beautiful book. You know, I've read Isaiah 150 times plus. I've read it cover to cover more times than, you can, than I can remember. I bought my first Bible in 1982, £7.95, Billy's Bookshop. I saved it up in my pocket, brand new blue NIV. Pastor kept on bellowing over the pulpit, you need to have your own Bible. I said, okay, I want to be a good Christian, get me a Bible. I read it from cover to cover in the first year, even Leviticus, every single word of it. That book has had a grip on me more than 40 years. This book continually ministers again and again and again. When I was coming to read in Isaiah, I said, Lord, I've read this so often. What will it be like this time? He says, my word is a lamp unto your feet. My spirit is water to your soul. That's what my word is to you. It's bread. It's strength. It's life. Jesus said, I am the bread of God that came down out of heaven. Your forefathers ate manna in the wilderness and they died. But he who feasts on me will live forever. So I read this precious book, expectant. And then I look at my gracious God through the eyes of this beautiful prophet Isaiah. What a man of God. That he would reflect on such thoughts. That he would write them down. And thousands of years later, here they are ministering to me. Lifting me up. Causing me to feel the graciousness of my Father's presence again. It's too good to be true. It's the gift that keeps on giving. and never stops. Thank you, Lord. We wait for you. And then he says, be our arm every morning. Be our arm. I like that analogy about the arm, don't you? Like the arm makes everything possible. The arm gets my food and brings it to my mouth. Without my arm, I can't feed myself. The arm allows me to drive my car. The arm is the front part you see of me extended to when you're coming to greet me. It's the right hand of fellowship. The arm is expressing who I am, giving you a picture of what I'm like. The arm is so, so important. Without the arm, I'm, I'm disabled. I think I'd rather be without my legs than without my arm. If I had no arms to walk around on my legs, I couldn't even feed myself. Someone has to feed me. Someone has to dress me. I can't do anything without these precious fingers. And Isaiah says, Lord, you be our arm. The arm of the Lord, the arm of the Lord is no one other than our precious Savior, Jesus Christ. To whom are the arm of the Lord being revealed, the scripture says. Be our arm every morning. You go before me, Lord. The the psalmist says that though he stumbles, he shall not fall. For I, the Lord, have his back held by my arm. I've got you. And he'll never let you go. Be our arm, he says. I just love the way the prophet reveals our father and reveals his character. I love the way he reveals who he is to us. He's the arm that goes before you. He clears the way. When your enemy comes to fight you, it's the arms you use first to box them off, right? Arms are so important. Lord, you're my arm. 
You're the glory and the lifter of my head, and you're my salvation in times of trouble. Be our arm every morning. You know, again, I just say to you, if you're a night shift worker, fine. You don't get the morning time you're sleeping, but get that time. Set your day up. Wait on the Lord. You will renew your strength. You will mount up on the wings of the eagle. You will run and you will not grow weary. You'll walk and shall not faint. You will see the hand of God work through your life. It is the best time a person could spend. It's more important than spending time with your wife or with your children. It sets you up for the day and for the week to come. Lord, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. He says, we wait for you. You're our salvation in times of trouble. I don't know, this evening, if you came into this house, perhaps you're in a little bit of trouble. We all get into trouble from time to time, don't we? Sometimes we get into trouble because people land us in it. <laughs> Sometimes we get into trouble because we land ourselves in it. <laughs> trouble seems to stalk what it is to be a human being, left and right. I want to tell you something this evening by way of encouragement. The prophet says, be our salvation. Save me out of the trouble. You know it's legitimate for you to come to God and pray, say, Lord, I'm in a world of trouble. I don't know what to do. Help me out. Do you remember the prodigal son? He's coming back to his father. He has sinned against heaven and against you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. That's all true. He's lived a profligate life. He's sold everything. He's disrespected and trod on everything that was precious to his family. If he was coming to my house, I think I'd be a little bit elder brother, to be honest. I think I'd be a little bit indignant. So that's the natural man rising up. What's this guy doing here? After all, he's done. After the way he's betrayed us. After the way he's let us down. Oh, he'd get the customary greeting in the right hand of fellowship, but my heart wouldn't be with him. That's what we're like, but that's not what our father is like. Because the Bible tells us this half-starved, half-naked, weak, pathetic-looking young man makes his way back. I don't know how he made his way back from a far-off land in that condition. hand of God was on him. Otherwise, he would surely have died. Here he comes back to his father, his gracious father, who is gracious to us and longs, as the Scripture says, to have compassion upon us. And here he comes to his father. And what does his father do, brothers and sisters? Does he pull out the scroll of transgression? Does he say, oh, it's okay, you can come back, but you'll have to serve as an apprentice again. I have a nice little single bedroom for you there with the servants. You know, <clears throat> mattress is a bit lumpy, pillows aren't great, but smelly. But look, you just prove your worth again, and maybe I'll promote you. No, the Bible says that the father of the prodigal fell on his son's neck weeping as the words were coming out. Father, I've sinned him. <laughs> I've sinned against heaven. They go, oh, my son, my son, my son. <laughs> what a savior. That's why we sing it. That's why we sing it. That's our father, folks. Gracious, compassionate, longing to show mercy. Longing to show mercy to those who would come with a contrite and humble heart. That's the condition. See, the world out there, they love the Christian message. They just hate the contrite and contrition part. That's the part they hate. But it's that part that unlocks the love and the compassion that's in the heart of our Father and causes us to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. What a Savior. I hope you're soaking this up with me. I was mopping it up yesterday morning. I said, Lord, this is fantastic. Pastor Nick is going to be so impressed with this. <laughs> he 
This is so beautiful. You're wonderful, Lord. Our salvation in times of trouble. Verse 5, the prophet speaks again. This time he's exalting the Lord. He says, the Lord is exalted for he dwells on high. He will fill Zion with justice and righteousness. Now, when I think of Zion, I think of the church. That's what I think. He says, he will fill Zion, the church, with all kinds of people. I think to myself, Lord, we're not just as a people, and we're certainly not righteous. And he says, well, you don't need to be, because I'm just enough for all of us. Amen. You know, when Jesus went to the cross, one of the things I just so love, when Jesus went to the cross, he took the sum total of the sin of humanity upon himself. Bible says he uh, became sin who knew no sin, that we might have the exchange become the righteousness of God. He took my sin, he took my guilt, he took my sorrow, he took your sin, your guilt, and your sorrow. He took the blame that comes with that, the identification that comes with that, and he carried it out of the camp, and he paid for it forever. And it makes me want to rejoice. You know, it's a good thing to meditate upon the cross and think about what Jesus has done for you. Growing up, um, it wasn't quite such a good thing because we were made to feel so very guilty. Oh, what you did, your sins put Jesus on the cross and you were cringing because of this terrible thing that happened to Jesus because of you. It's all your fault. (laughs) But we came into a beautiful revelation of grace too. Bible said, he looked at that cross and says in the book of Hebrews, and he despised its shame. He saw what was beyond it. He saw his children. He saw you. He saw me. He saw his broken, feeble, yeah, failed body that would become his bride. And he despised the shame of that cross and its reproach for us. I just say, wow. You know, one man challenged me one time. He's an atheist. You know, the atheists are always challenging, uh, you know, the belief in God. Have you noticed that? You notice how the atheists are always so belligerent? They're always giving out to you, mocking you, laughing at you. Muslims aren't near as bad as that. At least they believe in God. They don't believe in a live God, but nevertheless, they try to believe. But the atheists are just always having a pop. And this man started laughing at me in his sitting room. He says, you know, why would you do all that worship stuff and that singing and all this praise, I'm sure he'd been watching that comedian, uh, Mr. Fry, um, you know, speaking so terribly about the Christian faith and about Christian worship. And I said to him, I said, friend, I said, if you could realize for one second what the cross means, if you could realize for one second that Jesus took your guilt, your secret indiscretions, your stuff that you don't want anyone to know about, Your stuff that if it came out would probably land you somewhere not very pleasant. Everyone would hate you because the world is full of hate, you know. It's full of hypocrisy too, of course, because all have sinned and fall short, right? I said, if you could just know for one second what he had done for you, you would fall on your face and worship. Worship is a price. It's not a price. It's a joy. It's a privilege. It's a pleasure. I say, thank you, Jesus, for all you've done. You took my guilt, what I deserved. You took in my place. And you filled Zion with righteousness and justice. I like righteousness. God is just. 
Sin's punishment was taken care of by his very own son, that divine human figure called the Son of Man. He took it on himself. Bless his name. No wonder why there's elders falling down in heaven, worshiping him 24-7. We'll be part of that contingent, I'm sure. Each revelation after we get up again, after we see a different revelation of him again, will cause us want to fall down again for another bout of worship. It's going to be amazing. Heaven's going to be an amazing place. An amazing place. You'll have a body in heaven that never grows old. You'll have a body in heaven that never gets sick. You'll have a heart in heaven that never gets broken anymore. Never gets broken. If there is any tears there, I don't think there is, there'll be tears of joy. There'll be no sorrow there. No sorrow. What a place. What a place. You know, if you're too fat, you won't be too fat in heaven. If you're too skinny, you won't be too skinny in heaven. Your body will be perfect, immortal. Sown in weakness, raised in strength. Sown immortal, raised in immortality. Never again to suffer death. What a future. The body of Christ is to look forward. What a future. What a fellowship. What a joy. As I spoke about it in chapter 25. Let's go back just a few pages. Three things I want to deal with and then I'm going to close. Three promises. Isaiah talks about um, our future. Imagine writing all those years ago and he's talking about our future. Verse 6 of 25, he says, On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food. A feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow and aged wine well-refined. Evidently, our Lord has no problem with the consumption of meat. There's marrow there. That's an animal product. So that's, that's great. I'm glad he's not a vegan. Hallelujah. And he said there's going to be a feast called the Marriage Supper of the Lamb, which we're all going to be invited to as participants. And uh, we are regarded by the Scriptures as the bride, and Christ is our groom. So there's great splendidness placed on a bride, isn't there? Every time we go to a wedding, we always see the bride is looking remarkable and the groom is there waiting anxiously to receive his bride in the exchange over. It's fabulous. Weddings are wonderful. I love them. And it's a little picture, just a little picture of the future to come for the body of Christ as we will be united with him forever. But this is what he says in verse 8. Speaking about our Lord at this great event when we are with him forever, he says he will swallow up death forever. There will be no more death. Swallowed up forever. Never to be reintroduced again into the annals of history. Forever. Gone. Finito. Forever. Those who are trapped in their in the graves will be raised in these beautiful immortal bodies united with their souls and forever they will be with Christ and forever they will be impervious to death no more death no more of the pain that death brings no more of the separation that death brings no more of the loneliness that death brings that will be gone forever what a thing to look forward to folks Oh, if we could just get that message out there to the community. You're living for today. Tomorrow you could be gone, but you could live for tomorrow. And today could be gone. And Christ will take you forever into his kingdom. He'll swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. I can imagine every broken heart receiving its wholeness. It's completeness. All those battles that you fought with, depressions and uh, struggles that you had on the earth, no more. All those personality quirks that you tried your best to iron out and perhaps you failed miserably at them, but you managed to get over the finish line. 
I often think of myself, when I get over the finish line, you know, I'm a believer in a body-soul composite, so my soul exits my body. There's my body down there in the ground. There's my soul. And I believe, I believe just my own personal belief, this is not necessarily biblical, but it's my Father will join me to take me into the presence of our Father. He's going to collect me. One son, I want to bring you into the presence of my Savior. That's just a little thought, I have a little dream that there will be my Father looking splendid, regal, the Son of God. And he's come to collect his son and arrive into the throne room of heaven with the words of Hebrews ringing in my ears, here I am and the children thou hast given me. <laughs> Spoken first of Christ, here I am and the children thou hast given me. But perhaps a heritage for every parent is you're praying for your children and grandchildren and you're locked in intercession. Some parents are locked in that battle 30, 40, 50 years. They're locked in this warfare of intercession for children and grandchildren. As we get into my mid-50s, that's where I'm locked in this battle for their souls. Even though the battle is already won, I know the outcome is his outcome. But nevertheless, we are participants with him in this intercession, this living of the Christian life. So important to me to live well as a Christian so important for me to finish well. I said to my congregation on Sunday, I want to finish well. I don't want to finish badly. I used to go on open air in the 1980s with guitar in my teenagers, in very young teenagers. I used to go in these open airs and I'd sing and some of those great men were there preaching and, 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 and then later on you'll find that the, that the fire has grown dim in their lives and you think, I don't want that to happen to me. I want to finish strong. I want to finish on fire. I'm going to finish my, my father. I remember I phoned him just maybe four weeks before he died. Dad, 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 how are you? Eight, he said. I said, I heard you got that bad report. No, 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 no. He said, no, I got a better report. I said, wow, what is this better report? He said, I'm to be like Samson. I'm to take more with me in my death than ever in my life. What an inspiration. I want to finish strong. I want to finish like Eamon Cotlin. Ever hear of Eamon Cotlin? One of our finest runners, Eamon Cotton. We, we grew up watching Eamon Cotton. He broke the record for the four-minute mile in the very early 1980s. He was a fantastic athlete. 5,000 was his specialty, yet he never won Olympic gold. We had something called the Cotton Kick. There's about 13 laps involved in the 5,000-meter journey, and Cotton would always be in the middle of the pack, right? For the first 10 laps, he's in the middle, thinking he's not going to do anything, this guy, Cotton. This is why he hasn't won Olympic gold. He's not going to make it. But Cotton would make his way up to the top three by the 11th lap, and by the time the ding came on the 12th lap, Cotton was on the shoulder of the race leader. And at 200 meters, Cotton would look at his opponent, and you'd hear the commentator say, there goes Cotton. And it was like a power band. And he came in Helsinki, 1984, gold. He beat his opponent by 50 meters. It was an astounding victory. I said, oh, I want to finish like Cotland, don't you? I want to run this race well. I've got, you know, our, our time is short. It's shortening all the time. Christ is on the return. In the time you have left, praise God. Woo, almost there. In the time you have left, make it your mind to be a deliberate Christian. You could be, you know what, you could come in here today and say, well, I haven't been very deliberate, and I'm not like you, Pastor, you seem to have it all together. I don't. He has it all together, and he keeps us together. You could come in here and say, I haven't been a great Christian, there's been bad things going on. It changes today. Today, if you hear his voice, do you hear his voice? Don't harden your heart, say, yes, Lord. 
today and you say, from here on in, by the grace of God, by the grace he gives me, by the way he leads me, I'm just going to trust him day by day and finish the race strong. Amen? I want to finish it strong. I want to finish it strong. I want to give him glory. Because it will be said on that day, verse 9, it will come to a close. Behold, this is our God. Here we have it again. We waited for him. <laughs> Aren't you glad you did? There are mornings when I leave the quiet place. I was so glad I waited for the, the Lord this morning. I went to my wife for a bite of breakfast, and she's waiting on him as well. The breakfast fellowship is glorious. Because when two people have been waiting upon the Lord separately and they come together, it's just this incredible fellowship over the word while fellowshipping over food. In fact, most of my theology is honed in these discussions with my wife. She's also waiting on the Lord. I'm so glad I waited on the Lord. I'm so glad I learned the importance of just sitting in silence, reading a few verses. Offering a few praises. Times when the prayer is so powerful, folks, it feels like I'm in heaven. Times when it's so bad, I can't get two words past my teeth. But I'm still in his presence. Where can I go from his presence? It's his presence. He utterly fills the universe. He's everywhere. He's living in my soul. He's fellowshipping with you and with me even right now. Bless his sweet and beautiful name. And that day, he says, we have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord we have waited for. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Time, I think, for us to think about closing tonight with a little song of rejoicing, a little song of gladness. And perhaps as you're thinking about that as we sing, and as I hand back to Pastor Nick and, uh, to bring this message to a close, perhaps you'll think about what I've said about finishing strongly. And wherever, wherever you're coming from tonight, you don't have to be intimidated by that. You can seize that and say, yes, this word is for me as well as for you. And I don't have to allow my particular set of potential weaknesses or other weaknesses to hinder that. The lame take the prey with God. The lame, think about that. How can the lame take the prey? By definition, that seems to be contradictory. But in God's economy, it's not a contradiction. So if you're lame tonight, you came in, you're a lame Christian hobbling in over the door, or maybe you're online and you're just feeling so weak and so fed up of yourself, so broken with your life, I want to tell you something. The lame take the prey. So just latch hold of that tonight and say, Lord, I want the Kotlin kick. I want to finish well, Lord. I want to finish well my race. I want to start loving again. I want to release forgiveness. I want to get involved Want to, be, want to be committed. All those good things we hear talked about. That's what I want to be busying myself with in the time up to your departure. Shall we just stand in a word of prayer and then I'll hand back. Father, we bless you. Thank you so much, Lord, for your lovely presence that enabled this time uh, of communication. Lord, I know I couldn't speak a single word tonight of any significance if you did not anoint and you did anoint. You did bring a flow and a freedom. These are the things you do. It's your word. It's your glory. It's my privilege to have been here, but you get the honor, Lord. You get the glory. I pray for any tonight who are standing or watching, Lord, who have just been in that place themselves tonight. Father, I pray in Jesus' name, the lame take the prey. In Jesus' name. Amen. Praise be to God. Praise the Lord.
Thank you for tuning in with us today. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Cork Church. Also, make sure to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you have any questions, you can email us info at corkchurch.com or just check out our website. It's www.corkchurch.com. Again, thank you for tuning in and we will see you next time.